someone asks you what you did at church today, you can tell them we watched plants grow. It's about how we sometimes maybe uh, see church. Uh, my name is Tim. Uh, I'm the interim uh, minister here at Rockingham Christian Church, and we're really glad that you're here with us this morning. Um, on the other hand, how many of you knew as soon as you saw the plant that this was a strawberry plant by raise of hand? Some of you have some experience maybe raising strawberries. How many of you didn't know until you saw the fruit of the strawberry coming through, which would have been most of us, right? Okay. It's like, I don't know what that is until we see it. I'm still absolutely amazed. I, I don't know why this is the case for me, but, you know, I'm, well, I'm old enough to have experienced this a few times that, like, the way a seed, just a seed, can go from it being a seed, nothing, to that just still blows my mind. Not only does it go from a seed to being that, but something that I love to eat so amazingly, right? So if you think about showing up at your local market, and we just take some of these things for granted, for sure. We show up at our local market, we grab, you know, some strawberries, some raspberries, blueberries, potatoes, onions, whatever it is, the produce that's there, and we rarely give it a second thought. Everything that is behind that, that brought it to the point where you then take it home, dip it in chocolate, and it's amazing, right? Or whatever you do with your strawberries, or uh, I wouldn't dip your potatoes, I suppose, in chocolate. But, you know, we, we get to then taste the fruit of, of all that work. Now, I grew up on a farm uh, in Missouri, and... Uh, Listen, I didn't work very hard on the farm in Missouri. I, you know, I was not, my, I grew up in the farm crisis of the 80s, and my family was pretty quick to turn me away from farming as a way of life. And for those of you who have some perspective on what that would have been like, or if you've farmed at all, then you know that it's, uh, it's an enormous amount of work, particularly on a small farm, to try to make ends meet or to even try to keep a farm alive. And most people will tell you that small farming is basically a hobby where you try not to go you know, over your head in debt. It's something you, you grew up with. But that hobby has still formed so much of who I am. Even though I spent the last 15 years in a very dense, well, I think what is the densest uh, city in New England, in Somerville, uh, we had a porch uh, back deck uh, outside our second story you know, apartment and I hunger for all of that so much, like the, the, the feeling of growing something that is my own from seed to the point of fruit that I did the bucket farming. I don't know if you call it bucket gardening, right? Not farming. It's not really a farm, but like a bucket where you would put, we did peppers, we did tomato plants. Anybody else done like bucket plants? Uh, here's, here's the way this typically goes for me. The first time I did it, I started everything from seed because this is like such a, I love like the idea that I planted that seed and then nurtured it and then it sprouts and you're like, that's, I, I did that, right? Like, and I didn't kill it yet, right? So it's good. And then you watch it grow, and then you, you keep transplanting it to something bigger so the root system can grow until finally, now this is what happened to me, one of two things, okay? I went on vacation and it died, okay? So that's, that happened to a significant amount. 
But then the other part is that it takes a lot of work to actually get a lot of fruit from if you're doing that in, in buckets. So maybe I get a pepper or two, right, out of, out of that gardening. So it's an enormous amount of work when I can just simply go to the market and not think about it at all and take it home with me. The parable we're going to talk about today, Jesus is going to kind of bring us into that world and talk about seeds, soil, and fruit, and what it all means for our spiritual life. We've been looking at this, um, we've been looking at the life of Jesus through the gospel of Luke. And we began by talking about this kind of, these preparation chapters, which is like the first four chapters of Luke, where we are reminded that this story of Jesus is not a new story. It didn't begin with the birth of Jesus. It began thousands of years before that. Uh, and in God's story of the people of Israel and ultimately in creation, but God choosing Abraham, we talked about even the worship of Abraham a few weeks ago, but that story was already moving forward and it's historically grounded. And so when Jesus comes on the scene, Jesus doesn't come to start a new religion. Jesus comes in the same historical vein, the same story that was already moving forward through the people of Israel. So Jesus arrives on the scene, and we talked about how God is not bound by our boundaries a few weeks ago, because we looked at the story of Elizabeth and Zechariah, who were both older in age, and they gave birth to a son named, uh, that would be named John. And John would tell people, Jesus is the one that's coming after me. He's the one that's going to save people from their sins, and so you need to listen to him. Um, and then we looked at Mary, right? That she, you know, sometimes we, we get this view of, of Mary with the halo, but Mary's an unwed teen pregnant mother uh, in the ancient world. Uh, not someone who, not a story that you would sort of choose for the Messiah or the king of the world to come through. But God doesn't choose the expected. God very often chooses the unexpected in order to break the way things are and the way the world works. <clears throat> it's important for us to remember that today as, as we go through. And then we looked at Jesus's uh, baptism. We looked at Jesus's uh, temptations. And then last week, we moved into this middle section where it's not just preparation, but now we're talking about the way of Jesus. Very often in the church, we forget about the way of Jesus, and we, we jump to the end, the saving grace of Jesus, which is a part of it. But Jesus said there is a way that we live. There is a way that we should engage the world that is the way of Jesus, and it's not just the end part, that there is a path that we follow. And so Jesus' life, ministry, teaching, the way he healed, we talked about the centurion servant last week, uh, who Jesus healed because the centurion said, listen, you're not, I'm not even worthy, even though, I, even though I'm important, you are the one who's important, I'm not even worthy to have you come in my house. And Jesus was amazed at his humility. And so Jesus healed his servant, and we saw him then raise someone from the dead in that same chapter. And now we move into Jesus' teaching. So there is a way that the kingdom of God works, and Jesus is living it out in the, in the presence of the people that are following him. So it's not just something he talks about, not just something he points to, but everything he does is, is to demonstrate this is what the kingdom of God looks like. So we're going to jump in today to chapter 8. It's going to come up on the screen. 
Uh, but also there's Bibles around you if you'd like to open your Bible and look at chapter 8. We're going to start reading in verse 9. While a large crowd, Luke says, was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed, and as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and it was trampled on, and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than what was sown. A hundred times more than what was sown. I think there's something about me when I read this parable that sort of immediately thinks this is kind of a, I don't know if easy parable is the right word for it, but there are a lot of things Jesus teaches that leave me scratching my head sometimes. And and I'm like, I don't know if I understand that totally. This one seems to be relatively straightforward. There's seed that falls on soil that is so hard that it's never going to take root. There's seed that falls, but you know, it's, it, it doesn't take root because there's no, there's no soil there, so there's no root system. I, I understand that. And there are things about this, but this is the one parable that the disciples asked Jesus to explain, and the one parable Jesus does explain in full. It says, let me tell you the answer to what it is that you're asking. So just to summarize, Jesus says that there's a farmer, and this farmer's going out to sow seed. The first bit of seed falls along hard path, and it doesn't end up in the soil at all. It ends up just being free lunch for the birds on the path. And I think you and I can sort of imagine what that would be like. The second bit of seed falls on rocky soil, The seed germinates, but there's no real place for the roots to to go down in the soil to bring nourishment. So in the heat of the day, the plants get scorched. I think about this very often. Uh, You know, I I myself, uh, Jesus got a hold of my life uh, as a uh, college student. uh, And I think about the various points in my life where Jesus has really sort of engaged or changed my life. That certainly was the first one. But there's also been times in my life in in ministry where I definitely see this aspect of, I thought I was mature, I thought I was doing okay. Uh, Or even as a pastor, I've watched people like really come in enthusiastically to the church or to their faith, only when things get a little bit difficult, only to see that kind of wither away pretty quickly. Because they, they really didn't put down roots into what this Jesus thing was, was really about. And very often this comes in the form of like negotiating with God. So it becomes kind of this, if God, you do this for me, then I will, I will do this for you. And, and when that happens, when we, when we negotiate with God and kind of create our own pathway for God to interact with us, when things get difficult... There is, no, there is no root system because we've created it. We've created the entire path. It's not, it's not a path that God has created. It's one that we have said, God, if you do this, then, then I will do that. And so when things get difficult, we're like, all right, God, you didn't, you didn't really come through in the way, the way I wanted you. That's the, most, the way I see most often that seed land in rocky soil. 
then Jesus says there's soil that actually begins to grow, and you look at it on the outside for a while, just like we did uh, the strawberry plant, and, and you can see that it's going to be something. Something is coming here. Flowering begins to happen. But rather than in this case, Jesus says, that there's plants that do that, but then the weeds are and the thorns all grow up around it. When I grew up there, you would, we have machinery that does all this now, and, and we even did then, but you definitely had farms uh, back uh, when I was growing up where people would walk the beans. Does anybody know this phrase, walking the beans? A few of you do. Okay, so uh, you'd walk the beans, and what you're literally doing is you're removing all of the, uh, all of the weeds that could potentially choke out the fruit of the beans that are going to grow. And it's an enormous amount of work. It's hot work. It's difficult work. Uh, but at the end, rather than having just a few beans, you have flourishing beans, right? So it's worth the time and the energy in order to do it. Jesus says what happens too often is that he says the cares and concerns of the world really begin to choke out what could be the fruit of God's kingdom in our life. And then he says there's a fourth kind of soil that's fertile, and seed takes root, and it yields an incredible harvest. And I think sometimes sometimes I think when I read Scripture, and I don't know if you do this too, that I'm so personally focused on the text that I forget that some of it is not just about me and what's going to happen in my life, but the intent here is that it's for others as well. Here's what I mean by that. When that strawberry plant grows and I get to go collect the strawberries that have been picked, I'm taking them home for my enjoyment. I have no idea whether the farmer who grew them enjoys them or not. No idea. He doesn't know me or she doesn't know me, okay? They just grew the the fruit that I get to enjoy. Jesus says that, that the fruit that comes by this seed that's planted in our lives, it's going to bear fruit. And sometimes in the Christian world, we get so inward focused that we think that fruit is for us and for our benefit and for our good. But almost always when Jesus talks about fruit of the kingdom, he's talking about how this has an impact in the world around us. The fruit of what's happening in our life that spills over so that other people get a chance to enjoy what's going on. And we'll look at some passages about that in just a little bit. So Jesus then explains it this way. He says, this is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell along the thorn stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked out by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those who are noble and good in heart, who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. That word mature, when you think about a plant, uh, in Scripture, this word, again, I need my like my whiteboard up here, right? But that word mature can be translated a few different ways. It can be translated as perfect. It can be translated as mature. It can be translated as complete. 
But the essence of what he's saying, right, when a plant matures, it accomplishes what it was intended to accomplish. That strawberry seed, that apple seed, that seed for beans or whatever it is, it's intended to actually produce a crop and a fruit. That's its purpose. And this still blows me away that I can plant that and out of that will come enough to feed, you know, it depends on how much I plant, but it's going to feed a number of people, including my family. In that, it's found in that one seed. That's its purpose, is to grow and to reproduce over and over and over again. Within it is contained the very essence of that reproduction. And Jesus says that the seed is the word of God. That the word of God is intended not just to go into our life and for us to like, now think about it and ponder it and know more and have our doctrine correct and our belief correct. It's intended to go into our life, find root, build deep root systems in our heart and in our life, and then produce some kind of fruit that is what Jesus's kingdom is all about. Very often, when you and I look around the world, there's no doubt, I, I assume that you are similar to me, that when I look around the world sometimes, or I wake up and I look at the news, what I see is things are not the way they are supposed to be in an ongoing, continual way. Whether I'm looking at the world as a whole and global conflict, or I'm looking locally at what, what's happened, um, I mean, we had some tragedy even within our own college ministry in the past few weeks, and where I, I just see people and the way they treat one another, and I'm like, my, my heart hurts, right? Like, this is not the way things are intended to be. And the truth is that if I, if I push on that for very long, I, I can really kind of really trace that all the way even back to my own life. That in my interactions with people, it's not always exactly the way I want it to be, and the fruit that I would see or that others might see in me is not exactly where I would want it to be. And so sometimes it's easy for me to project it out there, that it's a world problem and not really examine the soil of my own life and what is being planted there. What, am I, what seed am I allowing to be planted in my heart and in my life? Sometimes when it comes to the Word of God, we talked about this in the last few weeks, but if you're, if you're new or you're coming here for the first time, Scripture, uh, Paul says, is God-breathed, and then it's profitable for all of these things, for rebuking, training, correcting, training in righteousness. But that phrase, God-breathed, is a word that's also translated as spirit. We talked about this way back at the very beginning, Right? that God breathes life. The reason we're not just carbon material and dust of the earth is because God breathed life into humankind, into our souls. So take a deep breath with me and let it out. God has breathed life into you. That is God's design in your life for his presence to be there with you. In the beginning was the Word, John said. He's talking about Jesus. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus himself is the Word, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is the Word that gets planted in our life, and the Word of God gets planted in our life. And its intent is that God's kingdom would be known in the way we live, the way we act. We might think about it this way as like 
attitude fruit and action fruit. It changes the way we think. It changes the way we interact with others. It changes the way our heart responds in moments. And it changes the way we act in the world around us. It doesn't necessarily happen overnight. Seeds take a little time. It takes 18 months, for example, for a raspberry seed to become a raspberry-bearing plant. 18 months. But once you do that, if you've ever planted raspberry bushes, they will take over everything, okay? And I, I, I told you a story about my neighbor, Mel, maybe my first Sunday here. Mel came over and planted raspberry bushes in my backyard. And then for the next couple of years, I got to enjoy just tons of raspberries twice a year, June and, and September. But it's amazing to think about what that one seed can do in building a plant that then just takes over everything. It takes two to five years for an apple seed to become an apple-bearing tree, and five to seven years for a cherry tree to begin to bear cherries. So when you think about that in our, in our own lives, the question is not so much, will the fruit or will the seed of God's Word bear fruit in our life? Because if we let it take root, it will. It's its entire purpose. Maybe it'll take 18 months, maybe six, maybe a few weeks. Maybe it'll take five to seven years. But ideally, we'd let it take root and change our lives immediately. What does that fruit look like? Well, this is how Paul describes it. Paul says that that fruit of God's presence in our life looks like this. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Think about those things for a second. Just let your heart and your mind just like ponder. What if I woke up every day? If you just closed your eyes and you thought, if I woke up every day and I, I looked at the news and I looked out my window and I looked at my relationships and here's what they looked like. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Doesn't that sound yummy? Yeah? It does. Like, that's, that's what I'd want to, that's the world I'd want to see. That's, that is the fruit of the Spirit of God at root in our life. In contrast, Paul says, there's a, there's a way the world works that you and I already know. We, we get it. We know, what, we know the way the world works. We know how you have to interact in the world in order to get by in order to get ahead, in order to achieve, in order to, to make way. We know what our, our hearts are often drawn to in the world around us. We know what our flesh is often drawn to. And it perpetuates the way things are in the world. And we become as much a part of the, the problem as anything that's happening in the world. I, I've got this up here on the message version. I'm going to read from the screen. In part because I think the message version captures a contemporary language that helps me understand it a little bit better than um, some of the other translations. So Paul says, in contrast to the fruit of the Spirit, here's what the fruit of the flesh looks like. It's obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time. Repetitive, loveless sex, a stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage. So we could unpack every one of these and just go, oh, gosh. 
the hurt I've experienced in that, the hurt I've seen other people experience, the hurt I've caused in that. Every one of these, we could do that. But that stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage. (laughs) If you get stuck in arguments on social media, that's happening to you right now. We, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep going. So, frenzied, joyless grabs for happiness, trinket gods, magic show religion, paranoid holiness, cutthroat competition, all-consuming yet never satisfied wants, a brutal temper, an impotence to love or to be loved, divided homes and lives, small-minded and lopsided pursuits, the vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival, uncontrolled and uncontrollable actions, ugly parodies of community, and Paul says, I could go on. And we've all experienced it, both received it, given it, and then watch it play out in the world around us, even if we know it's not the way we want things to be or the way things should be. And, and I want to hit on something just briefly here as we, as we transition. If, if you're coming in new, exploring Jesus for the first time, one of the things I think you need to hear and understand from us as the church is that sometimes we get caught up in fighting something that is called a culture war, and we fight it out of the fruits of the flesh, division, anger, rivals, depersonalization. And and I want to tell you, church, if our focus is on fighting a culture war with the fruit of the flesh, we've already lost the kingdom of God, okay? The only thing that is going to take root and make a difference so that when you and I look in the mirror, when we wake up and read the news, that things are different, is that the seed that has taken root in our life and bearing fruit is love joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. And Paul says against those things, there is no law. You're never going to wake up in an argument about those things going, I don't know if patience is really helpful. I don't know if kindness is really what's called for here. But that other list, I guarantee you, will have its own fruit, and it will taste nasty. My wife, uh, her father, uh, drove a produce truck when she was growing up. And uh, one of her jobs was to separate the rotten fruit from the good fruit. And she, to this day, she is the best produce chooser in the market that I know. But the other thing, as she will say, is what comes to her mind, even when she's picking and choosing, is the smell of when your hand would go through a rotten tomato, okay? And like that, that smell inside a hot box truck, she, it captures. And I want you to, to hold that for a second because that is the experience of the world around us as a church when we are fighting with the tools of the flesh and not that of the spirit. When Jesus says that there is fruit a hundredfold, It's not just so your life is better, though I can tell you it will be. It's that others taste it of the kingdom of God and go, that is good. That is what I want.
One last story to close, and I would tell your story if I knew it. I don't know all of you well. I don't know all of your stories, so I'm left to tell my stories. A few years ago, again, I've been a pastor for a lot of years now, almost, well, about 30 years, and this is probably, I don't know, six, seven years ago. Um, I've coached almost all my adult life, baseball and softball, and I coached my daughter's softball team, I enjoyed it. It was always a lot of fun. I coached our high school team in Somerville. And uh, after a game uh, several years ago, again, five or six, uh, my daughter and one of her friends from the other team were chatting on the field afterwards, just, you know, preteen girls, and they were talking about their dads, and, you know, each of their dads obviously are coaching on the other team. And my daughter points to me and says, that's my my dad, the coach. And, And the girl says to her, oh, the angry man right? Yes. I'd love to not tell you that story in some ways. But also, I want you to know and understand that just because we're followers of Jesus doesn't mean that there isn't place that we need to pick out the rotten fruit and separate it out, understand what is happening in the soil of our life, and make sure that what's being planted, taking root, and growing tastes good for others around us. And, it, and it, it just got to a point where I'd let the competition of the world around me and the way the world works really overtake how I interacted on a day-to-day basis. And it wasn't that it was always bad or that it, was, it wasn't like I was just a, a horrible person. It's that in, in learning to interact in the world around me, I had come to choose things that no longer tasted good like the kingdom of God. And what I want you to hear and know is if you come in this morning, there is, there is good fruit there for you personally in your life. The tilling of the soil, that in order for that seed to actually penetrate, take root, and bear fruit, starts with this word repentance. And it's opening ourselves up to being wrong and saying that what I'm seeing in my life right now, I don't want to see any longer. And I'm going to turn and walk away from that. And I need Jesus to come in and heal that. And I need God's presence to come in and produce something different in my life. Love, joy, peace, patience. That's what I want to see in my life. But it's opening ourselves up to confessing that I'm wrong and I don't want to see this any longer and repenting moving forward. Allowing then Jesus to take root in our life is the word of God, is the word made flesh that comes and lives here, that the root might grow and the kingdom of God might bear fruit in such a way. One way to look at it is, you know what, this world is going to be done one of these days and then we'll move on. But that wasn't Jesus' perspective about the world. Jesus' perspective was to heal in the here and now, to bring words of healing in the here and now, and to encourage us to live life after the fruit of the Spirit in the here and now. And that's what I want you to know, is both if you need that healing today, that repentance is there for you, and Jesus will bring life to you. He will breathe life into those dead places. But as a church, there's room for us to also repent and to say we fought the world's battles with the world's tools and the world's weapons for too long. It's time to put down a culture war and pick up the banner of the kingdom of God and allow the spirit of God to be the fruit that people taste. 
from this church and all of our churches to know who Jesus is. Let's pray. Father, today, we do ask for your forgiveness personally and individually where we have seen this fruit play out in our own life and where we want healing and we know that there, what, is, what is coming forth is not bringing life around us. And so, God, we really do. We just pray for, for you to forgive us and that you might bring us life from death. Father, as a church, we pray that you help us to recognize and know collectively as a community and in our families and our communities what it looks like to be good news in the world around us, what it means to, to live in such a way that people go, the Spirit of God is there. Because what I see and taste in that place is good. And I, I want to I taste more of that. Father, help us to, to find those places. In Jesus' name, amen. We will get to this story uh, in coming weeks as Jesus celebrated the Passover meal with his disciples. And that's a meal that dates back centuries and centuries before Jesus. But when God delivered Israel from the slavery of Egypt. And, but that meal was celebrated year after year after year after year. And Jesus then celebrates that meal with his disciples. But when he does... He says that there was something bigger happening, that there was a greater salvation that was coming, and that's for all mankind. And he says, in that way, I'm giving my body, my body will be given for all mankind that they might have life. And so like a seed, Jesus' life was given, planted, and died. It's taken and broken and given for us that we might have life. Let's take together. In the same way, Jesus took the cup of wine from the table and blessed it. Just like water that nourishes the soil, Jesus' blood becomes that which cleanses all of our sins and brings life. And Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. In gratitude, the body and the blood of Jesus. If you could please stand as we close out our service today.
We're so happy that you all came to join us this morning and worship with us. It was a good time. I hope you had a good time. Um, if you have any questions or you're new here or you want to know directions to the nearest Dunkin' Donuts, go out to the hub. They will talk to you. They will love you. Um, Tim is out there, so if you're not sure where the hub is, find Tim and he will help you. Um, if you are interested in volunteering for Easter, we do still need some people. Wendy's out there. And if you say, Wendy, she'll wave at you. So if you're not sure who Wendy is. So please go out, talk to them. Please come back next week for the next in our sermon series on Luke. And we hope you have a wonderful and blessed Sunday.